Hi, I'm Audrey Bellis, and you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon Español. We tell stories about fierce, femme, leaders, and activists of color bettering our worlds. Let's get started. All right, guys, we are back in studio, and we have with us today Tiffany DeHelio, who I know through Worthy Women uh, from past events, and because she is a Bravo uh, casting director, and we all know it is my dream to be on Bravo. Sorry, Farah, I appreciate you having me on MTV, but Bravo, you guys, like the housewives. Can you imagine me being a housewife? Housewife of LA? Housewife of downtown? No, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Tiffany, welcome. It is a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Oh, I'm super excited. So uh, tell our audience, if they're not familiar with you, a little bit more about what you do, how you got there, how you landed at Bravo. Well, I am a freelance casting director, so I kind of worked for everybody. I cast reality shows, game shows, docu-series, that type of thing. And it, it kind of happened on accident. I actually moved to L.A. to be a dancer. Oh. Yeah. So in that, you know, I had a couple of different jobs to to basically pay the bills while I was trying to be in Janet Jackson videos, which didn't ultimately work out. But but is a very L.A. story. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I just got lucky. I, I, I met somebody who needed a casting assistant, and that was back in 2005, and I've just been kind of grinding and doing it ever since. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so the real question, am I reality show slash docu-series material? I vote yes. I vote 110% yes. The personality was meant for something. Yes, the personality, <laughs> the smile, the energy, everything. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I tease, I tease. <laughs> I just moved in with my boyfriend. We have had some very interesting experiences now that we live together, right? After not too long of dating. And our running joke is like, oh my gosh, if this were a reality show insta-married. This is us. Like, this is what happens when you go, oh, let's do this. And then you're like, oh my God, you're not like you are on Instagram all the time. Not at all. Not at all. And and some of those are the, those are the most fun shows, shows that peel back the layers and show what people are really like in real life, you know, yeah. when the lashes come off and the heels come off and... And my weaves pull down <laughs> and I, you know, like unclip it and hang it in the closet so it doesn't wrinkle. <laughs> Or have like a weird kink to it. There you go. <laughs> so, okay. So how do you do that then as a casting director? Because, you know, this show is called Brown Girls Rising. We're all about representation. And when it comes to reality shows, I feel like I only ever think of the Housewives franchise or I think Jersey Shore Guido status or I think hip hop in Atlanta or love and hip hop or something like that. So yeah. how do you get around that? How do you bring representation into it and be able to do that in a way that is relatable to audiences but is also satisfying network stuff? Because I'm sure you struggle with things like, are there people that look like us on TV, right? Is this relatable or is this too-ish, too Latina-ish, not Latina-ish enough? How Asian is this, right? Absolutely. And it's something that when I first started and I, I realized just kind of what I had the chance to do in television, like I could really do something with my job. And for a long time, I identified my job as, okay, I want to put people from the Bay Area on TV and people that look like me on TV. And when it comes to actually getting the job done, you do have a boss. You do have a network who, who makes all the decisions. And that's been something that's been pretty frustrating for me because – 
for some reason, the American audience has in their idea that a Latina is supposed to be this way, an Asian girl is supposed to be this way. And yes, I do wear glasses, but not all the time, you know? Right. So it's it's been tough, but there are battles that I am able to fight when it comes to people that I really believe in, when it become, comes to stories I'm really excited to tell. Things like game shows give me the freedom to do that. Let me find a family who reminds me of mine and try Ooh. to get them on the show. You know, let me find mothers and daughters who are like my friends and their kids because they should be the ones on television. It's been something that I've really kind of made a priority in my head when it comes to searching for talent, whether it be just scouring Facebook and then messaging Audrey because she has a cute dress on or like whoever it may be, you know, looking for those faces that I know America would respond to and those personalities that everyone can relate to no matter what their backgrounds are. And your background, you are Filipina. Mm -hmm. So you are one of our brown girls. In fact, you are the second Filipina on the show and we have a few more lined up. And for us with Brown Girls Rising, I really, really wanted something more than just Latinas, more than just black girls, more than white girls. I really wanted to explore what it means to be brown, right? And I feel like Filipina girls are a very unique subset because you're not really Asian, you're not Pacific Islander, but you're like practically Latinas because you're Catholic. Tagalog sounds almost like Spanish. Your food is very similar and your cultural norms are very much like ours, very family-centric, very deferential to your elders, very much about tradition and the role of tradition plays, especially as it relates to religion and the things that are expected of you, right? For women, for men, there's even that sense of machismo. And I sit here and I go, all right, Where's my Filipina girls? We need more of you on here because we want to hear more about your upbringing. And I'm curious, have you, do you identify as a brown girl? And if so, is that something that you do, you identify as with pride or with shame? And how has that evolved for you? It's evolved quite a bit, but kind of gone full circle. So I grew up in East San Jose, which was a really, really diverse culturally neighborhood, very working class. Most of the people I grew up with went to school with also had parents who were immigrants. I always identified as Filipino because I knew that was what I was. And there was a lot of them around me. Nice. Um, I went to a high school that was like 30% Mexican. Like, so we all just understood each other. Like, we all brought weird stuff to lunch every day. And it's just how it was. I didn't become really aware of being different or like not being white until I got to college. And that was where it was like, I had the realization. It wasn't anything that was negative. Uh, Luckily, it was at an age where I was like, yeah, this is who I am. This is where I'm from. You can't understand my dad when he speaks, but I don't understand why. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like he's speaking English. He's fine. But I also became more aware of the fact that there were certain disadvantages. And I had to work a little bit harder maybe to be seen. Also being a woman. Right. Being brown. Being small. You know, there was a lot of things that I suddenly – realized I was that I was all along, but I had no idea. Ooh, like what? Because I'm a little person. People, in fact, this has happened to me multiple times where people will meet me in real life or they'll see me at an event and I take off my heels and they go, oh, you're like really little. Like you're not that tall at all. And I remember, in fact, this woman, I was, I can distinctly remember this, is at a Worthy Woman event and she's a very petite person. She's like maybe 5'2", 95 pounds, like that type of petite. And she goes, oh, 
Oh, Audrey, I didn't realize you were so small. And I said, why would you not realize that? And she goes, well, you know, your personality is just so big. You just fill a room. And I was like, I think that's a compliment, but did you just call me short? And then she goes, you're like shorter than me. And I was like, fuck you. Like... I am five one and a half on a good day with big hair, and I very much claim that half. Like, I need that half. And it's interesting. You're right. It is interesting. I'm curious for you, like, what are things you've experienced as just, you know, being small? Being small is something that I really didn't realize how small I was until I was in high school. And, you know, everybody starts getting their adult height or whatever, and I kind of oh, yeah. stayed right there. You know, and, and I think that's why my – voice has always been loud. It's like an overcompensating type of thing. It's like my personality. Yeah. It's like you you take on these things. M- my mom jokes that I have short man syndrome. They call me Nepolina. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Our moms should get together. They would probably have a great time. Yeah. So so even things like walking – for what for my job now, a lot of times I have to walk into a room and instruct a room full of people who want to be on a game show. Right. I have to rally large open casting calls of like a thousand people. And sometimes people look over me. I'm yes. like, where are you going? Where are you going? <laughs> You're supposed to stand right there. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, I'm here to see Tiffany. I am Tiffany. Like, you know, <laughs> things like that happen all the time. And it's it's just kind of become part of my everyday life. And I, a lot of that, I don't know if it is being a brown girl who's five. 1.1. Okay. So I've got you by just a hair, mm-hmm. which makes me really excited. Sorry to tell you that because I never get to be taller than people. I think for me, it's been more of things like, well, people be like, oh, well, let me reach that for you. Or, oh, don't worry. I can do that. And I'm like, uh, excuse me. I load in and out for all my events. I wish you guys could see my nails right now because they look like trash. i Broke a million acrylic nails moving, and then I got a gel manicure to save myself. But, you know, the things I've been doing with my hands the last two weeks as it relates to events just were not kind. And it's <laughs> like, um, I can sh- I don't confuse me for being petite and pretty for being incapable of doing the things I need to because I will get down. Yeah. I'm like in the freight elevator all the time. Yes. <laughs> I have no shame pushing that dolly around, getting no. things that we need to get done. But again, I think that that really also lends to being the daughters of immigrants, right? You grow up with this mentality of you just get it done. It doesn't matter what it is. Nobody's going to be there to help you to do it. You can't rely on that or expect that. So you just have to find a way to do it. And I'm curious for you with your family, I know for me, like, I'm that way. I just get shit done, which is an awesome thing. But at the same time, like my mom will say things like, well, why can't you get shit done in a way that I can show off like being a doctor, lawyer, engineer? Because that's what we came to this country for you to be. And in fact, I'll give you a Filipino joke. We had my trainer, Trish the Ish, who was the dopest. We're going to have her on the show in a few weeks. She spoke at our last Worthy Women LA Summit event. And she said the running joke when you tell people the no, the running... Is it running joke, career path, whatever. The point is, she was like, what kind of career path is meant for Filipina girls? There's only two options, nurse or nurse. And I was like, oh my God, that's hilarious. I don't want to laugh, but I want to laugh because that's funny. And, you know, like, (laughs) like the things that are expected of you, right? Like, how do you explain like, hey, mom, I'm a casting producer for reality TV and all kinds of other things when they're probably sitting here going like, not a nurse, not these things. 
What do we come to this country for? She's yes. dying. You guys, I'm killing her. That is a battle that I still fight every day. <laughs> it never goes away, right? Like, never I'm 31 away. years old. My mom still checks in. I'm, Mika, did you get home okay? Are you outside? It's dark. It's dark. This is why you're not married. If you weren't doing these things, if you spent more time in the kitchen, if you did this, if you did, if you got a job that we could tell people that you do, we don't know what you do, you could have been married by now and having babies. You're preventing me from being a grandmother. Yeah. I lucked out because both of my brothers had kids. There definitely was always an expectation to not only follow a predictable and safe career path, but also to be a good girl. So I've kind of broken all of that. I'm the oldest in my family. I'm the oldest of all the grandchildren who were born here. So uh, same. So, yeah. so it's one of those things where I did kind of, I kind of did everything wrong. You know, I moved to LA to be a dancer. I'm still not married. I still don't have any kids and I'm okay with it. And I'm, I'm perpetually unemployed because I'm freelance. Like right. that's what you don't have like a 401k. You don't have, you know, your own health insurance through work. You don't know where you're going to be in a month. And it's like, well, no, but neither does anybody else. Right. I started out as a bio major. That's what I studied in school because I wanted to be a teacher. I felt like there weren't enough like female ethnic science teachers in high schools. Uh, that's that's what, very true. And very had true. you taken that path, you would still be the only girl doing what you do. So I think the thread here is that you like the path of uncharted territory. A little bit, yeah. And and it's it, it's nerve-wracking, and it still is every day. Like, right now, I'm in between shows. I just did something for the Game Show Network. Before that, I did something for Fox. And I don't know what I'm going to be doing in, like, a couple of months. But so I'm okay we'll totally pitch you after this episode. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's one of those things where my, my family does understand now what I do. It took a couple of years for them to see what it was because my names pop up my name pops up in the credits but they don't necessarily see me on screen. So why are you traveling across the country? Why are you on the news all the time in like Utah in Arkansas but you know in like did- the whitest part of America. Yeah. The whitest part. Yes, which is also interesting but actually really awesome. So it was like but what do you do for this TV show? It's right. like well I find the people that are on the TV show. And then I have to find a new job once once that's, you know, set. So they understand it now. It took a while. But there's definitely uh, more of an appreciation for what I do now. Because after so many years, my credits have built up to where they're like, yeah, my daughter did this. Do you know that? Oh, great. You know. And this year, I don't, he doesn't know yet, but I'm probably going to take my dad to the Emmys, which mm. will be, you know, a fun thing too. That's going to be incredible. I want to go to an award show. I've never been to like a really cool award show like that with like major Hollywood red carpet. But like being in downtown, we obviously see stuff like that. And I feel like that's such an L.A. thing. In fact, I actually got to participate in my very first casting and I got a call back. Not that I'm an actress by any means. It was for Dannon yogurt and they were doing something it was a Dannon branded yogurt so it was Activia I think 
And it was for uh, – they didn't actually tell us, but we figured that out. <laughs> and it was called The Real Lives of Women. And um, I was selected for Worthy Women. But here's the thing. They didn't tell me. It was a casting. So I get this email that was like, hey, we see what you do with Worthy Women. We'd love for you to come in and have a very short on-camera interview. And if it goes well, there's a larger client project we'd love to have you back for. So I get there. And it's a freaking casting call. And these girls are sitting here putting in their weight on their call sheets, their height. They've got headshots. And I'm like, and they all know each other because they all go to the same casting calls. And I'm there like in my suit going, well, I was asked to be here. And I, I text my manager at the time and I go, hey, you booked me for a casting call. She goes, no, that's not what this was. And I go, yeah, this is a casting call. And I was very kind of flippant and irritated about it. I did my interview and I left and I was like, Psh, I didn't think anything of it. There's no way that was going to do anything worthwhile. And they called me back. And then I come back and I'm, I kid you not, here's where my ego got ginormous. I start Snapchatting from the trailer that they put me in. They're putting me in outfits. They're doing my hair and makeup. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, this is the life. And then craft services. You're going to give me how many unlimited shrimps? I'm so in. I was like, I could get used to this. And that was it. I didn't get back. I haven't heard back from them for anything past that second phase, but I thought it was pretty cool. And I was like, oh, this is what happens. Like when I look out my window and I see all these trailers there and you're like, what are you guys doing all day? Besides making it so that we can't cross the street. Yeah, that's that's the job. Craft services is one of the best things ever. <laughs> oh, I know. Who knew that was so good? I was like, you're going to feed me and it's really good? Yeah. You're like a fancy caterer? Clearly, I'm in the wrong business because nobody else is feeding me like that. I'm feeding people at my events and let me assure you, it's not that good. I mean, it's good. Thank you to our sponsors. We appreciate you. But it's not like on that level. But again, you know, food as it plays a role in the things that you do, right? That experience, I got to sit down and talk to everybody, got to talk to some of the crews. They had some off-duty police officers that were also moonlighting with the security team. And it was interesting to see how those things go together and how long you're on set and how long these things take and the intricacies of the generators and just all of the permits just to make that work is mind-blowing to me from a production standpoint because, you know, our little production schedules for events are certainly not that not that status. But I imagine for you, there's not a lot of Filipino women in what you do. Like, it's one thing to see women in media, but how many Filipino women do you see in media? Behind the camera, it, it's there's, – there's not a lot of us. You get excited when you see another face that looks like yours and you're like, oh, my God, are you Filipino? Oh, my God. <laughs> and – you remember it and it's special and then you realize, well, that's like five people, you know? Yeah. There's like four of us. There's five of us. But yeah, there, there's not a lot. It's something that I get really passionate about too because I feel like the networks are all run by the same type of person and the production companies and the producers and executives are all one type of person. None of them are me, you know? <laughs> I was going to say, I'm just picturing like... Maybe because I watch Entourage too much, but I'm just picturing like, you know, Ari, white, Jewish, and ego. Which, P.S., if you are actually listening to this, I loved Entourage and Ari Gold was like my dream husband forever. I was like, oh my gosh, your ego is just like mine <laughs> and you're kind of a little man. And I could just see us having very dominant world world-taking kids that would just do great things together. I went through such a phase. Of all the people that that could be like your crush of like, I want to have babies with you. The Ari Gold character was like, you're asshole-ish enough that I really like you. Yeah. A lot. 
Yeah, I, I actually know a lot of Ari Golds in real life. And they're some of my favorite people. <laughs> I think I just like other people's big egos. Like I'm one of those people who doesn't care and I just go out and do it. And I love I love that confidence in somebody else. And that's not to be confused with arrogance, right? Arrogance is one thing, but like even that character is very relatable for the things that he went through, like starting his own business, being fired, being in this position of like, hey, I'm coming up in the world and somebody who I thought was there for me or a mentor just shot me down and shut me out. Like I've been there. That's a horrible position to be in. And the feeling, it it's a betrayal. That's really what it is, is a betrayal. And I think for us as women, it's so important for our roles to be able to help drive the communities that we're in and to be leaders of our own, whether it's for our micro communities or our communities at large. I'm curious, how has your community shifted and evolved? Because I imagine people come to you for a lot of favors, but also just women in general, women trying to get into the industry, see you as somebody who can teach them that and be a role model, especially in today's world. I mean, you literally get to make representation for people happen. That's a very powerful role. Yeah. Well, two things. My industry itself is actually very female. And it's something where, you know, just from the beginning, I've seen a guy heads a show and he hires a woman to cast it. It kind of makes sense. Women are good with personalities and that type of thing, I guess. I guess that's how it happened. But there's a lot of women in casting. Now, since I started, back when I started, there was like five reality shows. Now there's like 5,000. So, Oh my gosh, there totally is. There totally is. And so the industry is now just flooded with all this new talent, which is great because there's enough going on for all of us. But um, there's also been just kind of a downturn as far as what networks and producers are willing to provide as far as resources for these shows to be cast. Uh, casting gets kind of forgotten in that way sometimes. So that being said, there's a lot of younger, cheaper talent coming in. <laughs> younger, cheaper talent. Well, I was just on Teen Mom OG at South by. That was a, actually, that was a very surreal experience. The episode aired. I interviewed Farrah Abram at South by for an event. And she texted me on like a, no, it was Memorial Day because I was at my parents. She texted me during our barbecue and was like, hey, Audrey, your episode airs in a few hours. And I'm like, Farrah just texted me. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. This is crazy. And I hadn't seen the episode. And in fact, I hadn't seen the episode for like days after it aired because I didn't record it because I didn't know it was going to be on. And apparently I didn't have MTV as part of my cable package. <laughs> I watched news and that's about it. And so I needed to get the channel. And people were like texting me going, oh my gosh, I saw you on Teen Mom. And I'm like, you watch Teen Mom? You watch Teen Mom OG? Everybody watches Teen Mom OG. I didn't know that. And then my mom, okay, so here's the other thing. So my mom, my parents don't have cable. They never had cable. We were not encouraged to watch TV as kids. We were encouraged to read books. And my mom's coworkers are like texting her screenshots going, is this your daughter? Is she on, <laughs> is she on Teen Mom right now interviewing Farrah Abram? You're just like, What? Did this just happen? And the people that come out of the woodwork, it really makes you question your friends and acquaintances in life when you're like, what do you watch? <laughs> but it was a very surreal experience. And like my five seconds of glory, although quite frankly, thank you MTV because it was an hour long episode. My interview with her was like 25 minutes and they aired the whole thing. 
So I got some major airtime for it. Wow. And I will say this. We had a lot of brands reach out to me in agencies like the next day because people in their office had seen it and said, oh, I right. see you diversity and inclusion. We'd love to talk to you about this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So Brown Girls Rising is what we like to call a feminist podcast, a term that I've not always been comfortable with. I'm curious. Do you consider yourself a feminist? 110%. Have I, you always considered yourself a feminist? Yeah, totally. And it was it was something that didn't necessarily strike me as a bad word necessarily. I, I don't know if it's because, you know, as a kid, I didn't hear the word much because it was just something from back in the day that was necessary and wasn't necessary now. And then in the 90s, I grew up, you know, when Riot Girl was big. That's when I was in oh, high school. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So I grew up listening to like Kim Gordon and Bikini Kill and stuff like that. So feminism was cool, you know, in the early yeah. 90s. And we all wanted to, you know, wear lipstick and ripped up dresses and stuff and be like, yeah, we can do anything a man can. So it's something I've, I've always identified as. And recently somebody in my family used the word feminazi and I was highly offended. Oh. Yeah. And it was a kid. So I'm like, do you know what that means? No. Yeah. I'm a feminazi then. <laughs> if you're saying, you know, it, it, it's like implying that women can't be strong in their opinions of equal rights and that type of thing. So, right. yeah, I mean, I feel like why is feminism something that still needs to be around? Like, haven't we surpassed that? And it's yeah, really no. uncomfortable know that, to know that we haven't. We really haven't. And I think ever since the election, the things that we're facing that I – ignorantly did not realize that we still have to face things as it relates to feminism, equal rights, racism. Like, it's now okay to be racist for a lot of people. And you just sit there. Let me tell you the amount of Facebook unfriending that I have done where you sit there and, you're, and you look at it and you go, oh, my gosh, do you, do you not realize that I am one of the people you're talking about? I am one of them that you're trying to keep out and not be near and you're talking shit about. Like, mm -hmm. don't let my white girl name confuse you, right? And that's, I think, so unfortunate and it's so scary. But I also think it's a sign of our, quite frankly, some of our failure of education in our school systems, the things that, that we don't learn and talk about. We don't talk about race and social constructs in school where we learn them as electives in college, if you decide to take multicultural, multidisciplinary gender studies, those are not things that are automatically required in the curriculum. So no wonder we've created a society of ignorant people that say the dumbest things and just they don't know better. And I, I want to believe that some of this is just ignorance, right? Like I have a friend who posted on Facebook semi-recently. She's a white girl. And she was doing something related to, like, women of color. And somebody said, oh, well, do you really feel that you're the most appropriate person to be doing this since you're not a woman of color? And she goes, well, I'm not racist. My boyfriend's black. And I'm like, oh, that's so not the thing to say. Let me, let me help you. But again, she didn't mean anything by it. That was just ignorance on her part of, like, what is an appropriate response to that? I also think the other challenge that we face is we are seeing things of – cultural appropriations, right? We're like, oh, 
Like, I'm female and these are my plights. Well, okay, you're female, but are you a black female? Because that's different. Are you a white female? That's different. Like, check your privilege. And are you really one to be the person to be the voice of a generation or (laughs) all of a generation? I laugh. Sorry, Lena Dunham. I really do like you Mm -hmm. most of the time. I liked girls seasons one and two when I was a Marnie. (laughs) And then I became a Shosh. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's it's really interesting because for a lot of my projects, I have to travel to small town USA, whether that be, you know, Natchez, Mississippi or Fayetteville, Arkansas, places like this. And wherever I, whenever I go to these places, number one, they're like, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from Los Angeles. And they're like, no, where are you really from? Yeah, well, I grew up in the Bay Area. Where's your mama from? <laughs> like, she's from Santa Cruz, California. Like, I don't, I don't, what are you asking me here? Yeah. They want you to put that sticker on your forehead they and be do. like, Filipina. Yeah. That's me. That's- but they don't know what that is in a lot of places. So they yeah. look at me and they're like, where are you from and what are you doing here? I think you're absolutely right. A lot of it is just ignorance. And I will say everybody that's come up to me and asked me, where are you from? What are you? Whatever it may be, has been really, really polite about it and just curious. It's such an awkward conversation too. Because it's because it, you can tell people want to ask, but they don't know what to say or how they're saying it. So you're right. They do do that. They do the do-do. I just said they do do that. <laughs> Yes, doo-doos. So the questions people ask are, where are you from? No, where did you grow up? Where are your parents from? It's exactly in that order. Mm-hmm. Like every single time. Oh my gosh, can I tell you how many times that's happened to me in an Uber? Where are you from? Persian? Uh-huh. No. no. Are you sure? <laughs> yes. Do you like chai? Yes. Not Persian. Not even close. <laughs> and I think they're afraid to ask those questions because... What they learn, and I hate to use the word they, but, you know, people outside of the metropolitan metropolitan areas have learned as well is that you don't want to offend anybody, you know? Right. You know, and, and I'm like, no, I'm not offended that you asked. I'd love to tell you about it. Well, let me tell you where my mom's from, where my dad's from. Why don't you tell me where you're from, you know? Right. I had a guy in New Orleans who asked me if I was Vietnamese, and I said, no, I'm Filipino. And then he freaked out. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm like, I'm not offended. Like, I kind of look Vietnamese too. You know, like wrong kind of Asian, but not Asian. Yeah, but all good. It's cool. I've got Vietnamese homies chilling at the pho shop. You know what I mean? It's cool. So, yeah, I mean, it, this was all pre-election. Yeah. So people were very polite and curious in that type of things. But I've encountered it in other cities where you walk into a gift shop looking to recruit people for a TV show and they follow you around because you're a brown girl with purple hair and a backpack. Like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm actually a producer for NBC. Here's my card. Yes. And they're like, no, you're not. Yes, I am. Google me right now. Go ahead. <laughs> Pull out oh your phone. Gosh. That's a good line. Sometimes I want to tell people that. Google yeah. me. Here you go. Enjoy <laughs> this. Just before we jumped into that conversation, I said something and as you were talking, it made me think of you as a casting director and how we identify as people. Like, as I mentioned, Lena Dunham show girls from HBO. I'm like, yeah, that was the year that I was a Marnie or that was the year that I was a show. Sure. Like Sex in the City. Like, are you a Samantha? Are you a Carrie? Like, who are you? And 
it occurs to me as we're sitting here how important your job is and what you do because of how we identify with characters and who we are in episodes. And now that I think about it, every time we make those references, like especially when a show is very big, people always end up finding like, who is this? Who is that? Are you a, you know, are you a Charlotte? And so in saying that, I guess my question is, you know, you spoke earlier about like creating people that you know, right? Who is this character based on? When you're casting for things like that, do you ever have to like read in and be like, okay, well, this is the character of a person. But then like at what point do you decide, oh, this person's also black, right? Or this person is here. Like at what level of casting do you end up sitting here and going like, well, these are all the things that need to be represented. And is there a mandate for diversity and inclusion within media? Or is it more public backlash these days of like, hey, I don't see a single person who looks like me and I'm going to tweet this till my hashtag trends, then I'm going to shut you down. Uh, there, There is. There's, there's a very encouraging conscious movement in a lot of the networks to properly represent diversity in all of their projects, which sometimes in itself can can be frustrating because, you know, we'll have a docuseries and they'll say, well, we have we need four moms and we want one of them to be black. Well, why does only one of them have to be black? Right. You know, where's my mom going to go? My mom's not black. My mom's Filipino. Does that fit in there? Oh, as long as she doesn't have an accent. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so now I'm curious if you can do the accent. My mom doesn't have an accent. Neither does mine, except when she gets really angry, like really angry, and then it comes out. Yeah, yeah. My dad's got the accent. My mom does not. Because she, she did. She le- Where's your mom from? She's legit from Santa Cruz, California. Like, so you know? funny. It is something that people are trying to address, uh, corporations, networks, that type of thing. They're trying to address. But at the end of the day, they still have to answer to advertisers. So they they might want an African American family, but they have to be a certain kind. Can you make sure they're like the family on Blackish? It's like, oh, uh, so okay. you can be, literally. How black are you? Just Blackish. It's like <laughs> when people ask me how Jewish I am, and I'm like, I'm Jewish, like the way the Olive Garden is Italian. That's how I'm Jewish. <laughs> only when it's convenient. Only when Jehovah's Witness come knocking and only when I'm trying to get out of something or I don't want to eat that food. And I'm like, oh, I'm Jewish. So I don't offend you. It's something that I definitely am very conscious of and passionate about representing women, representing um, brown people like all of us, you know, in a certain way. Because you get into this hold where it's like, well, we need a funny Asian guy. What does that mean? You know, we need to be able to laugh at him. Why? There are some hot Asian dudes out there, let me tell you. So why can't we have that instead? Um, I yeah, want the, to... ty- the typecasting. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, in my position, I want to do everything I can to get away from that without upsetting anybody who right. wants to sell, I don't know, tampons on TV. Whatever it may be, you right. know? I went to a panel last night, a panel discussion with Ava DuVernay and Oprah. I'm obsessed with both of those people. Super. Ava DuVernay, you are my dream person. I would love to have you on this show. I'm just putting this out there in the universe. Love you. Oprah, I just want to be you and maybe be on Super Soul Sunday. <laughs> Other fantasies that we put out, maybe they will materialize. We're Absolutely. the Audrey on Super Soul Sunday. <laughs> And you should have seen Ava's outfit. It was amazing. Oh. I follow her on Instagram and Twitter, and she is 
for lack of better words that could be more articulate and I just don't have them at the moment, she is so dope. Like everything about her, she's just like, hi, I'm Ava DuVernay. And I'm like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. I don't know when you came on scene, but you are just like everything. Everything. Just, I mean, just hearing her voice, it's like, it's, it's like magical. So they were talking about Queen Sugar on OWN. Yes. Yes. Such a good show. And Oprah was talking about the Ralph Angel character and she said something that really struck me because it it really just kind of summarizes how I feel about my job. And she said, images are political. You know, if you show uh, a character, dark chocolate skin character who just got out of incarceration and wants to take care of his son, as a parent, it's an image that a lot of America's not familiar with. And those are the image that, images that we need to put out there because these are people, this is representative of real American life, you know, that type of thing. And it's something that I'm, I'm really passionate about and try to do as much as possible, again, without pissing off any of the bosses. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting that you say that it's not an image that America is familiar with, right? Because we see all of the opposites. We see the negative because that's what makes the news. That's what the media is showing us. The black man getting out of jail with the thought process of taking care of his kids. No, media is showing us the opposite. You know, somebody who's not around. And what's unfortunate about that is the stark truth of Latinas and African-American women. Worthy Women started as an event series for my company, uh, Startup DTLA, to support female tech entrepreneurs. Obviously rapidly evolved into a much broader experience and movement, but originally I had people asking, well, why aren't there more women of color in particularly, not just the tech industry, but as founders? And I said, well, black women and Latinas are statistically the most likely to be single mothers. You tell me how you can do a startup company, raise capital, do what you need to do when you are one, somebody's you know, mom, you're a single mom, you probably are the daughter of immigrants or you have parents that most likely do not either have stable financial incomes or they have, you know, maybe especially on the immigrant parent side, maybe they've worked here for a long time but had factory jobs or things where they didn't have 401ks or proper savings. So now you have parents that you're taking care of Well, you have kids that you're taking care of and you don't have that support system and you can't afford to have instability in your job, Right. Um, No wonder we're not represented in a lot of ways. And again, what is the media showing us? This podcast was very much designed to say, what is what are the stories the media isn't telling you? Right. And women who look like us that are making change every single day. So curious for you, who are some of the women that have inspired you to make change? are your feminist icons as an adult as most of my life i've just i worship oprah i love her same (laughs) same she's the best as far as just some feminist icons from childhood i always looked up to madonna because she did questionable things but she just didn't give a fuck you know yes she truly doesn't yeah she still doesn't she still doesn't she gave herself a british accent (laughs) you know we were talking on our last episode about rachel dozel and how she like appropriated herself to be a black woman Mm -hmm. and how wrong that is but yet we don't judge madonna for her british accent that she really doesn't have (laughs) right like when did she get that not as a kid in michigan i'm sure no (laughs) poor madonna we do love you though madonna you are incredible love love her and then you know, I, I've always looked up to Cindy Sherman. I love her art. Kim Gordon, woman in punk. And like recent, recently, I love Aisha Tyler. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's 
the gist of, of who I look up to. All women who are unapologetic about what they have to say, what their opinions are, that kind of thing. And my mom, my mom's cool, you know. Yes, for the mother. Yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't want to ask, but it has come up in almost every single episode that we've done. People always say that their mother is one of their role models and/or the person who's inspired them. We're trying to see how long this streak goes, <laughs> so we don't tell guests that ahead of time to see if they bring it up. You're up there. I'm up there. Yeah, my mom's great. You know, she she grew up here. She was born in the Philippines, but she grew up here. So a lot of her struggle as a brown woman was more of trying to fit her parents' ideals, but still be this American woman, which I'm sure all of us kind of experience. Mm -hmm. But hers was definitely much more pronounced, being that, you know, she came here in the 50s, that kind of thing, when she was like two years old. So, uh, but my mom's also like the hottest woman I've ever seen in my life. And like, she's really nice. She's a lot of the things that I have to try to be every day. <laughs> they do, right? Mm -hmm. I, that's an interesting thought process. I find that as I get older, I look at my parents and I'm like, oh my gosh, I do not give you enough credit for the things that you do and how you do them. Like even in their relationship where I go, man, I want a relationship like my parents. I want a, a partner the way my parents have each other as a partner. And the things that we put them through as kids where you just go, hey, mom and dad, uh, sorry I did that to you. Dear future children of mine, please don't ever put me through this. <laughs> uh, and just the things that they got done, right? And I think we see this more in a millennial generation. And I recently had this conversation with my parents about kids that are moving back home, right? Who Parents who are still financially supporting their kids. In my parents' generation, that was just not an option. You just figured it out. And we seem to have a newer generation of people that don't always figure it out. They have a safety net or a cushion that they're leaning on. It's their parents, or extended support system, and uh, that's and that's not to say that that's a blanket statement, you guys. That's not for everybody. Obviously, other people have very different situations, but I feel like at least in my own social group, I see that more and more. Where I go, oh, you know, my parents would have been like, oh, when I was your age, I was done having kids. I had bought a house. I had figured out my stuff. And okay, let's talk privilege. It was not a luxury of. And my mom says this, it was not a luxury afforded to her to say, oh, I'm going to go pursue my passion and find what I love in life and just live a life of passion and fulfillment and purpose. No. She was like, I had kids, I had bills, and I needed to meet those obligations. End of story. You don't think about it. You just do. Yeah. And and I think a lot of times my parents joke that my biggest my biggest problem is I have too many choices. I can decide not to get married and still take care of myself and you know, go surfing in Nicaragua, whatever I want to do, and no one's going to stop me from it. Whereas back in the day, like my mom got married to get out of my grandpa's house, you know? Well, and yeah. she loved my dad too. But that that's a real thing, right? You look yeah. at older generations and like historical and anthropological uh, research shows us a lot of people, it was a change you needed to get out of the house. You shifted from, you know, your parents to a different type of patriarchy where you're like, okay, now I have a husband. I've exited this situation to a new situation. Yeah. <laughs> there's, some, there's some ups and downs in that. We could unpack that in a different episode. I'm curious, what is on your nightstand, whether show or book or things that you're consuming content-wise right now that is the most inspiring to you and our audience should know about and pick up for themselves? Legit on my nightstand right now is Queen Sugar because Oprah gave it out last night. <laughs> Get it, guys. Get, Get it, it, guys. Show, I'm really into Twin Peaks and... It's just the show that my best friend and I watched as kids. So interestingly enough, I find it inspiring because it brings me back to when I was like 15 watching that show and wondering how they did all this weird stuff in this TV show. And now that's what I do. 
So that's kind of weird. I'm reading a book right now, reading, it's an audiobook about women who need, who are at the point in their lives where they need to want to pivot. Yes. But I don't know how I feel about it yet. So I don't necessarily want to plug it. <laughs> so that's interesting. Uh, in closing, I'll tell you, I got booked to speak on a cruise with Karen Civil in oh. October, which mm -hmm. I'm really excited about. It's a women's empowerment cruise, and I am actually taking my mom with me because my mom is approaching retirement. First time my mom and I are ever going on vacation with just the two of us, not my sister, not all of us as a family, just me and my mom. I'm hoping what it's going to do is inspire her as she pivots into this next chapter in her life and retirement next year. And she'll be retiring early, but what that looks like for her, because my mom has had, well, she's had a fantastic career. She was just named employee of the year for her school district. Like those are incredible things, but I sit here and I go, if you didn't have us, if you could have had the opportunities that you've afforded us to have, what would you have chosen? And now that you're young, you're retiring young enough to have that second chapter in your life as empty nesters without us in the house and doing things that finally is for you and you pivot your life, what that's going to look like. And that's been very interesting to see as I grow older and see my mom with new eyes more as a, a peer, still a mother, but more as like an adult peer where you're like, oh, you're you're a per you're more than my mom you're just you're a person that's going through things that I can now relate and understand to so Tiffany where can our audience find you and hopefully they won't try to drive you crazy pitching you <laughs> or maybe yes maybe you want them to maybe <laughs> yes maybe I post my castings all the time I'm on Instagram at Tiffany casting and on Twitter at TV producer lady and Twitter is where I usually post all my casting notices I love that hashtag TV producer lady. That's her. Uh, I'm at Audrey Bellis, and this has been Brown Girls Rising. We hope this episode has inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and at Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.